Legacy Coder Podcast Episode 5. What is Legacy Code? Welcome to episode 5 of the Legacy Coder Podcast. My name is Stefan Macke and today I'm going to talk about a topic that's pretty important for this podcast because it's named after the topic, Legacy Coder. Where does this name come from? Well, of course, Legacy Code. But as a colleague of mine told me a few weeks ago, I've never talked about what I mean by legacy code and what might be a problem with legacy code or how to fix it or whatever. So today I'm going to talk about legacy code. Well, let's start with a quick definition. What exactly is legacy code? So what's this guy on the podcast talking about, right? And um, to be honest, I really like the definition of Michael Feathers in his book, Working Effectively with Legacy Code. Um, he simply defines legacy code as code without tests. And I really like that definition because if you have code without tests, I'm pretty sure that your code also has many additional characteristics that many people think of when they hear the term legacy code. For example, if you can't test your code in isolation, you might have what many call the big ball of mud. Uh, big monolithic application where all the parts are deeply entangled and they are pretty hard to separate and to test individually. And if you don't have tests for your code, you can't simply change the code because you can never be sure that you haven't broken anything. And that's what's so valuable about the test suite. And if you can't change your code, you can't modify it, then of course you can't build new features into your code. And so the code becomes obsolete in the end and uh, yeah, can't be changed anymore, can't be maintained anymore. And yeah, it dies in the long run. So it all starts with tests and that's why I've recorded my very first podcast episode about unit testing your natural application. And when I think of natural code, I almost always think of a big old monolithic natural application that's pretty hard to test. So my main definition for legacy code is the one of Michael Feathers code without tests. But this characteristic leads to additional characteristics that many people associate with legacy code. And we'll talk about them in just a minute. But if I had to give a very short to the point definition of legacy code, I would definitely take the one by Michael Feathers, code without tests. So let's see what other characteristics one might think of when we talk about legacy code. First of all, the term legacy reminds us of something old, something that's passed along through the generations of developers, for example. So one might think that legacy code is code of a certain age. It's old, to uh, use another word. Now, old code doesn't have to be bad code. And... Um, Before I go into the details of the other characteristics, I would like to emphasize that I don't dislike legacy code or I hate legacy code. That's not the case. In fact, legacy code is where most of the companies out there make their money. And I found a quote on Twitter by Sam Newman that sums it up pretty well. And his tweet goes, 
Don't forget, having legacy software is often a sign of success. Your business was successful to last long enough for your software to become legacy. Now that's a quote by Sam Newman, who wrote a book about microservices, for example. So um, he's talking about pretty advanced and pretty modern stuff. But when he is asked whether a company should switch over to microservices from an old legacy monolith, for example, he always replies, well, it depends. Where is your problem with the monolith? Do you have any pain, for example, when compiling the software or when maintaining it or uh, when adding new features? So there's no need for any company out there to just switch over to microservices just because it is hip right now or because everybody else does it. You need to have a pretty good reason for rewriting your whole application if it suited your needs for the last decade or even two or three decades. So why would you replace your working legacy software with something fancy, something new, just because, well... There's no need for that. So if your legacy software works for you and you're still able to maintain it and to add new features to it, there's no need whatsoever to get rid of this legacy application. And that's exactly my point of view too. I work in a company where we um, program a 20-year-old database natural application. And there's no way for us to simply replace it with something different because 20 years of developer experience is built into this product. So why would we throw it away and replace it with something new? There's simply no business case in doing that. However, when software developers hear the term legacy code, of course, they, yeah, they're not very keen on working in this kind of software. They want to program something shiny, something new, of course. But as I mentioned earlier, that's almost always not the way these companies make money. So just to sum things up, I'm not against legacy code. I don't hate it. Of course, I don't love working with it. I'm also um, um, excited about new stuff and new frameworks and new things. Of course, yeah. well, which, which software developer doesn't like working with new stuff? But if you're a professional, you have to understand where your company makes its money. And if it makes money on this large legacy application written in Adabase Natural, then you need to find a way to maintain this application for the next decade or so, if you don't want your company to go out of business. Okay, so back to the characteristics of legacy code. The last one I mentioned was code of a certain age, so old code. In my case, a 20-year-old application. And we, even today, work in the 20-year-old module. So from time to time, we have to fix something in these core modules of the application. So this code worked for the last 20 years and is still maintained today. It just doesn't die. It contains important business logic that's still needed 20 years after it was written. And I'm pretty sure that no developer 20 years ago thought about that. In fact, the whole year 2000 problem, which affected lots of old COBOL applications out there, only was a real problem because the developers 40, 50 years ago th never thought that their code would live long enough to even see the year 2000. 
But if you take a look around big companies that even today in the year 2018 still rely on these old COBOL and natural and ABAP and whatever applications, then we might be talking about your legacy code that you write today in 20 years. And I think that's a pretty good rule to follow. So write your code as if you would have to maintain it for the next 20 years. Another term that's often used for these old legacy applications is brownfield. In contrast to a greenfield project where the developer can start from scratch and create a new shiny application, of course, with the perfect architecture that's long lasting and uses the newest technologies. In a brownfield project, you already have code and that's the legacy code, of course. And you can't simply change the architecture or add a new feature here. You have to maintain the old system and you have to integrate your new development into the already existing system. I always think of a nice picture of a green field and in contrast to that i think of a picture with really a brown field with a large factory built on top of this field and if you want to add new features to this factory you can't simply replace the old one and build a new factory there you for example have to add another building to the already existing factory and that's what we as software developers deal with on a daily basis we have an existing code base our legacy code base and have to add features to this system however Old can also be applied not only to the code, but to the technologies that the system uses. For example, old programming languages like COBOL, Natural, or um, all that stuff that's going on on mainframes, for example, could be interpreted as legacy code because these technologies aren't widely used in the industry today anymore. But to be honest, I would also name J2EE, for example, as another legacy technology. Because if you take a look at the newer Java Enterprise Edition versions, uh, 6, 7, 8, etc., um, it's a completely new concept. You can't simply add a Java EE7 to your J2EE application that's already 10 years old. It, it simply wouldn't work because the technology has changed so drastically that they're just incompatible. So even a seemingly modern Java application that has been written 10 years ago looks like a complete mess compared to the technologies that are available in the Java world today. And with this in mind, natural code that's 20 years old doesn't look so bad after all. Because if I compare a 10-year-old Java application to what's possible today in Java, it's as if I'm looking at another language because so much changed over the last years. And if I look at a 20-year-old natural application, as I do on a daily basis, it really doesn't seem so bad after all because natural the language hasn't improved or changed syntactically over the last 20 years these 20 year old natural modules at the core of our system are pretty well readable today with all the modern tools that are available they almost look like modern natural modules 
So the code itself doesn't seem to be legacy code because it yeah, looks almost the same as the code that's written today. So to sum up, I think every platform, every technology, every programming language will one day be legacy. Let's face it, if you work with Java and you have to maintain a 20-year-old Java application, I'm sure it wouldn't be any fun at all. And why exactly is that? Well, that leads us to the next characteristic of legacy code and code that's hard to change or maintain. That's what I also think of when I think of legacy code. And that's true for the mentioned 20-year-old Java application. For example, because there aren't any compilers anymore, the language isn't uh, updated, all the frameworks that you used 20 years ago aren't there anymore, for example. Or you wrote something that nobody understands except the original author who's uh, no longer in the company, for example. And all the problems that you have, for example, in natural today that many companies are desperately trying to find solutions for also exist in other technology spaces for example like java or vb.net for example if you have an old vb6 application you'll definitely have problems finding someone who can maintain this software for you And I know what I'm talking about here because I use a VB6 application for one of my university courses. There's this really old ERP system that we use for training students. And this ERP system is written in VB6. And it can't even be executed on modern versions of Windows anymore because there's no runtime for VB6. So what I need to do is I have to set up a Windows XP virtual machine, install the software into the virtual machine and hand out the VM to the students for them to be able to use this program. So if Microsoft, the vendor of the operating system and VB6 in this case, decides to cut support for the platform or for the programming language, well, then you have to deal with this legacy software and see how you can make that piece of software run in your environment. But of course, that's a pretty extreme example. Many of the hardware and software and um, programming language vendors today, of course, build backward compatibility right into their programs. But you can write legacy code, new legacy code today, if you write unmaintainable code, code that's hard to change. So it doesn't only rely on the programming language you use or the technology or the vendor. You can write legacy code in the most modern programming language that's out there if you write it in a way that nobody else understands what you're doing or even you don't understand what you did a week after you wrote the code. So it might be the case that the vendor or the programming language is the reason for your code to become legacy code, But I think in most of the cases, the developer, him or herself, is the reason why the code becomes legacy code. If I think of some piece of our code that was written by a mathematician who really liked to use um, variable names with only one letter, as you, of course, would do when you write a mathematical formula, for example, x plus a equals b or whatever, 
I'm pretty sure this code would qualify as legacy code the minute it was written. So please check out Uncle Bob's clean code if you haven't already read it. It's completely agnostic of any programming language and there are so many important things that you have to take into account when you write code in this book that I really think it should be mandatory for every software developer to read this. And if you can understand your own code from five years ago, then you're on the right path to not create new legacy code. Okay, the next characteristic of legacy code is the big ball of mud. I've mentioned that earlier. Another word for the big old monolith. A monolithic software system is a software system where all the parts of the software are deeply entangled. Every part calls every other part. So, for example, database access, business logic and view logic are all tightly coupled. So, you can't simply call the business logic without accessing the database and displaying data to the user, for example. And this is also true on an architectural level. So if you have different business units inside your software, you can't simply change one unit without affecting all the other units. So all this tightly coupled code leads to a system that nobody really understands anymore. Because if you change something on the left side, something on the right side might break and you have no idea whatsoever why this thing broke. And that's what we call a big ball of mud. And of course, there are many other code smells that you can find in this big ball of mud. For example, of course, lots of duplicated code. So you just copy over this one natural module and change two or three lines and bam, you have your new business requirement ready. And why would you care about removing this duplication or decoupling your modules? Who needs to reuse them anyway? If we have another requirement that's similar to the one I just coded, well, I'll just copy-paste the other module and I'm done. And if every other developer also does that, then, well, we'll end up with a big ball of mud where many additional features are just stacked on top of the existing ones. They are never cleaned up and so we end up with a deeply entangled system that nobody understands anymore. And another problem with this is, of course, it's pretty hard to test that stuff. Because if I have to access the database just to be able to call the business logic, well, then I've got a real big problem. Because if the database isn't there or the database content changes, then all my tests would, of course, break. And they are also pretty slow because they have to access the database. But that's what many natural modules that I encounter in the wild look like. There's a read loop and some if statement inside this loop that uh, does something, um, whatever, some, some business rule. And right inside 
the read loop at the end of it there's some input using map so we have our view logic our database logic and our business logic all coupled together into a single module and you can't separate them from another to individually test them and that makes this piece of code very hard to maintain and to change Instead, I would like to separate all of these concerns into their own modules, for example, into external subroutines or subprograms that can be called from another module that would have meaningful names so that when they are called from another program, I can instantly recognize what they do. I can understand the flow of the code. And they all would do only one single thing. For example, access the database or display the data, but not both at the same time. And if you want to look at a small pseudocode example that shows what I just said, um, take a look at the show notes for this episode. You can find them at legacycoder.com slash five for this fifth episode today. And of course, you'll also find links to the books that I mentioned in this episode and uh, lots of other interesting things. However, in my company, we spend a large amount of our time decoupling the existing modules. When we wanted to integrate our natural application into our service-oriented architecture, we needed to extract just the business logic from these natural modules to be able to publish them as services to the outside world. But when the existing modules were coupled to the display logic and to the database logic, we simply couldn't do that because every time a service would call into our system, the database would be read or a input using map would be called. But of course, this wouldn't work because there is no user in front of a display because it's a service that calls the module. And this was a really big problem for us and still is a big problem for us today. How do we extract the business logic from this coupled modules? So in our case, the big old monolith, the big ball of mud definitely would count as legacy code. And the last characteristic of legacy code today is code that lacks certain quality characteristics. For example, the code isn't readable. It's not modularized. It's not consistent. It's hard to understand. It's deeply nested. It contains duplication. Similar things are done a bit differently. And of course, there's no pattern whatsoever used throughout the code. If you think of your own code that you wrote when you started programming, then you think of legacy code because you haven't read clean code, because you didn't know any pattern, because you never heard about modularization. And why would you write readable code? X and A and B are, of course, suitable names for variables. To be short, you made all the rookie mistakes yourself. And that's okay, because you have to learn programming. In fact, I also wrote lots of really bad lines of code. When I think of the start of my career, when I worked with PHP for a few years, 
oh man, if I had to maintain this code today, um, well, I'd rather not think about that. And I would definitely call this code legacy code because it lacks every quality characteristic. Okay, just so to sum up, what is legacy code? Legacy code, as defined by Michael Feathers, is code without tests. But you could also think of code of a certain age. So think of brownfield instead of greenfield. There's also old code or old programming languages or platforms like natural COBOL, etc. But also a 10-year-old Java application would be counted as legacy code. Legacy code is also hard to change and maintain. So you can even write new legacy code today in the most modern languages. Another word for the big old monolith is the big ball of mud. And there's lots of duplicated code. They are hard to separate into individual pieces of functionality. There are different concerns that, all, uh, that are all bundled together. And these monoliths also qualify as legacy code. And the last thing on my list is code that lacks certain quality characteristics. I would definitely call this code legacy code too. So that's what I think of when I hear the term legacy code. And that's why I started this podcast. Of course, in my day job, I use Adabase and Natural for our big old monolithic application. And that's what the purpose of this podcast is. I want to talk about modernizing this natural monolith. However, all the ideas or the characteristics of legacy code also apply to other platforms or other languages. As I mentioned, there's also a Java application that could qualify as legacy code or the PHP stuff that I wrote 10 years ago, for example. So natural doesn't equal legacy code. However, lots of the things that I talked about today are true for old natural applications. They are tightly coupled. They don't have any automated tests, for example. They're pretty hard to maintain or change. The platform is already pretty old. And all of these things apply to natural applications. And that's why I called this podcast Legacy Coder Podcast, because my day job is maintaining and extending this legacy code base. And I'm sure there are many other developers out there who also need to maintain their existing code base. And many of the things that I talk about here on this podcast directly apply to natural, but they also apply to other platforms. For example, COBOL and ABAP. There are so many SAP installations out there that have all the characteristics that I mentioned today. So they would all qualify as legacy code. In my opinion, an SAP installation qualifies as legacy code the moment it's installed. However, that's another story. But what's the point of complaining about all of this legacy code? The applications are out there and they run daily. They make millions of dollars for the companies that use these applications. 
So instead of complaining about all of this bad old legacy code, we should come up with solutions for how to maintain this software in the long run. And as I mentioned at the very start of this episode, there's absolutely no need in replacing all this legacy code if it works as it should work. I cited Sam Newman's tweet about legacy code and that's exactly what I think too. This legacy code base has a reason to live because it's where the business cases are implemented for lots of companies out there. So why would you throw all that stuff away just to replace it with something shiny and new that will definitely be legacy in 10 years? If you don't have a problem with your legacy code base, if you can maintain it and even extend it and add new functionality to it, why would you throw it away? Just because natural is 30 years old? Well, who cares? If the software works and your software developers know the language and can extend the functionality, then why would you throw all that away? There's no business case in doing that. On the other side, if you have very high maintenance costs, if you face an aging or retiring workforce like uh, many companies in the natural world do, or if you are unable to implement new requirements, for example, because your application can't be compiled anymore, or there isn't any platform your application can run on anymore, then you'll need to find a solution for this. And one of the solutions might be replacing the old application with a completely new one. But in many cases, a better solution would be to extend the functionality to open up the system in natural, for example. You can use Web Methods Integration Server to publish natural modules as web services or even as REST services or whatever fancy new technology might be next. The software vendors know about these applications that need to be maintained over the next few decades and provide working solutions for you to integrate your application into this modern, this new world. So instead of throwing all the old stuff away and completely rewriting it in another programming language that you know nothing about, where you will definitely make all the rookie mistakes yourself again, start improving the quality of your code base. Introduce a test suite, for example. Write the new modules in a more modular way. Separate your concerns. Try to extract the business functionality into their own modules. Apply some of the concepts of clean code into your natural code. Rename your variables and give your subroutines, more meaningful names, or try to automate your build process. There are so many things that you can do to improve the quality of your existing code instead of throwing it all away and rewriting it from scratch. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Because if I talk to other companies that also use Adabase and Natural, the discussion 
inside of these companies is often about replacing the technology instead of improving the existing technology. For example, there might be a new CIO who, <laughs> who really hates natural for whatever reason and wants uh, their software developers to replace the existing system with a new Java solution. Because, well, Everybody does that, right? It's state of the art. Nobody really works with natural anymore. So we definitely need to throw all that stuff away and do it from scratch again. And to be honest, I think that's pretty stupid because you've invested so much money into this working code base that does everything the company needs. You have all these experienced natural developers who really know the ins and outs of the language and almost always know the ins and outs of the program and the application. And instead of leveraging all this knowledge, the companies just throw these solutions away just because natural is an old programming language. However, often these CIOs don't even know about the possibilities of modern natural development. There's this idea in their heads that natural is old and boring and all of the natural developers will retire and there are no innovations going on and on and on and on. And I think that this is not the case. There are so many cool things that you can do with natural that's simply not possible on other platforms. Of course, natural has its drawbacks, but it's also a pretty good language for writing line-of-business applications. It has been for over 30 years, so why would you stop using that now just because there are other languages available? If you invest in your developers and build up a new generation of young natural developers and if you provide training, if you use modern tools, if you automate your tests and automate your build, for example, and automate your deployment to production, all of this is possible using natural. So there's absolutely no reason at all to call natural applications legacy if only for the technology. Of course, if your natural code is 30 years old, it's definitely a legacy application. But don't get me wrong, I'm just talking about the technology here. And all the cool things the new developers need to have are available in the natural ecosystem. So natural doesn't equal legacy. It's possible to write modern applications using this seemingly old language. And that's why I started this podcast, to inspire other software developers that have to work with so-called legacy platforms and show them that modern software development is possible even on old platforms. And I hope that with this episode, I could inspire you to take action. For example, write your first unit test, automate your build process, um, publish your modules as services integrated into an SOA, whatever. And if you have any questions or any recommendations for future episodes or would like to get in contact with me or would like to take a look at our system, for example... 
simply visit the show notes for this episode that you can find under legacycoder.com slash five, the digit five. And you can leave me a comment there. You can subscribe to my newsletter so that you won't miss any new podcast episode coming out. And you will also find a contact form there if you would like to drop me a mail. So it's time to wrap up. I would like to thank you for your attention and I'll see you next time on the Legacy Coder Podcast. Mm -hmm.